stories of some of the world's greatest women unfold here. I am Annette Comer, your host, and each week the untold secrets of success, strength, and boldness of today's powerful women are revealed. This woman never took the expected path of life. She went to college for journalism, but dropped out early when she got pregnant. Yet, 28 years later, she went back and finished her degree. Along the way, she took a job selling airplanes. It excited her, and she was good at it. So she partnered with her husband and started an airplane brokerage company, and with each decision, her comfort zone expanded, and with each expansion came more opportunities. As the years passed and her children left home, she realized one day that she had become a trailblazer for other women and a powerful leader others wanted to follow. Even though there, there aren't many like her in her industry, she knows she is exactly where she is meant to be. And as one of the top airplane brokers in America, her path to greatness continues to unfold. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Renee Bangelsdorf. Hi, Renee. Thank you for joining me today. Annette, thank you so much for that kind introduction. I feel like I have a lot to live up to now, and I am just so honored to be here with you and to have you and speak so highly of me. It's a treasure. Well, it wasn't hard, I can tell you, because you're an amazing woman. And there's much I want to explore about your greatness today. So let's get to it. You are a woman in a 99% male-dominated field. Do you embrace your femininity or do you try to fit in with the guys? You know, if you would ask me that question five years ago, my answer would have been a little bit different. I've always been kind of girly. I've always enjoyed wearing dresses and putting on makeup and, and being feminine. But five years ago, I really was trying to be one of the guys, trying to fit in to a role that I felt like I wasn't big enough or bold enough to carry off well. And as I began to seek out other women and began to live more authentically, live and work in who I was and embrace the ways that I was different, instead of trying to stifle those, I really feel like I blossomed in my confidence. And that's when other women started saying, wow, I really appreciate who you are and what you're doing. So that authenticity, while it took me embarrassingly too long to discover, has served me well in the last few years, especially. I want to go a little bit deeper on that. I think there's a lot of social messaging that makes it very confusing for women, especially in the male-dominated spaces of how they are to carry themselves, how they are to show up. Did you see a lot of that messaging as well? I did. I think one of the things, especially in the area where I work, which is not aircraft sales is not regulated. It's kind of a dog world. So showing vulnerability and being transparent have never really been qualities that have been embraced in this area. And I think that there was some, some hesitancy on my part to, to say, I don't know that much about that. Can you tell me more? Or wow, that's not my area of expertise. Can I connect you to someone who really knows that well? Being able to say where I'm not strong was something that I really had to learn how to do. And I think that a lot of women need to learn how to do that. It's it's hard to balance that gaining confidence 
and admitting that you don't have it, but the two actually go hand in hand and play off of each other. Now, that's so wise. And I think that's a, a great perspective because uh, I think women do get confused in how to create that balance between that authenticity and that confidence as well. So I'm going to continue to go a little bit further into this. You told me that when you are true to yourself, you get described as being a classy professional. So what does being true to yourself look like and what happens when you don't show up this way? Oh, gosh, you are giving me some humdingers right <laughs> off the bat here. Wow. I expected no less. You know, I think being true to myself means sticking with my morals and my values. I definitely value people over transactions. I value relationships with other women, with other professionals, and of course, with our company's clients. And sometimes that means that we lose a transaction. And that's hard, especially because we only do, you know, 20 or so transactions a year. So each one we lose stings. It's not like we have a thousand and and losing one doesn't matter. But I think that the relationships are much more important than the transactions. So sticking true to my principles and our company's values is really important to me. And when I don't do that, I end up feeling not so in love with my job. I end up feeling frustrated. I end up getting discouraged by people's behavior. Whereas when I'm being true to myself and true to the values that we embrace as a company, even when I lose something or I experience a defeat or a failure, that doesn't sting as much because I haven't lost myself. That is so wise. And I can relate to that because I know for myself, Renee, when I step outside that place of being true to myself and sticking with my values and principles, that I have a physical response. I feel tense in my shoulders. My stomach bothers me. And I've got to the point now where I can intellectually look at it and say, isn't that interesting? That is your response. And I wonder how many women are rolling along, doing so much for themselves and their families and their careers and all the things they're juggling and are really outside of where they should be and are having all kinds of physical symptoms and don't even know it. Right. And those physical symptoms can turn into something very, very serious. You know, heart attacks are very common among women. We don't talk about it very often, but the American Heart Association talks about that. The stress that our bodies experience from brain fogs and anxiety and panic attacks and depression is severe, it can lead to much worse things. So it's really important that we stay true to ourselves, isn't it? So something you said in answering that question leads perfectly into my next question. So in your industry, the deals you negotiate are big, and I'm sure you don't win them all. How do you handle the disappointment of losing a deal and disappointments in general? I've had such a blessed life, Annette, and you and I talked about how we're both blessed with long marriages and with delightful surprises in our careers. And so I have to lean into the things that mean the most to me to handle the things that sting when they don't go my way. And I think that organizing our priorities around the things that leave a legacy is much more important than focusing on the areas that don't matter eternally. So it's really important to me that my top priorities are things that will be remembered about me when I'm gone, the 
influence that I have over my children and grandchildren, the perseverance that I've exhibited in my life and marriage. We both know that marriage can be hard and and pushing through that and having those victories as a legacy is much more important than getting caught up in those daily disappointments. So having that little bit more long ranging perspective is very helpful in overcoming the daily disappointments. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And that does keep you from being so getting down in the weeds of what's happened with that one deal, even though it, like you say, it stings. I mean, we'd be kidding ourselves if we say, well, well, that's no big deal because it is a big deal, but it's only in a big deal in that point in time. Like you're saying, right. the long-term is, is a whole different ball game. And in an industry where, you know, sometimes sales are going really well and they're brisk and sometimes it is a famine. And when you're in business with your husband and you've got a whole lot of eggs in one basket, it can be really scary, really frightening to have deals fall apart, especially ones that you were counting on to make payroll or pay your mortgage or host a beautiful wedding for your daughter. I mean, all those things are, they're heavy. They're not insignificant, but neither are they eternal. I think that's the important thing to keep in mind. Keep that perspective. Absolutely. Keep that perspective. So you mentioned your husband and you have been married for three decades, but I'm sure it hasn't always been a rosy path of bliss. It never is with married power couples. So what has been your secret to navigating the inherent struggles so that the marriage has stayed long and strong? Have you been reading my mail? No. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think the secret to marriage, any marriage, is forgiveness. I think it's a, a beautiful thing when you're unpleasant and, you know, I'm unpleasant sometimes and my husband's unpleasant sometimes, but you can look past that to the bigger picture. And that's leaving a legacy, right? And I know that I brought that up before and I don't want to continue harping on that, but I think having a forgiving spirit toward people, not hanging on to grudges is really important. And I've learned, I don't know if he's learned it or not, but I've learned that I have to pick my battles. And when I'm very cautious about what I let go, because it's not really that important for me to win, and what I choose to stand my ground on, when I approach him about it, and how I approach him about it makes the magic for keeping our marriage strong and healthy. But it's all those things. It's, It's being quick to forgive, slow to anger, and very strategic about the things that I dig my heels in about, I think is is really the secret to that. And you work with your husband. So is that, and you and I talked about in a prior conversation, how, you know, being with a man in a marriage and being with a man in business, they are different relationships. And the the three tips you just gave, do you apply those to the personal side as well as to the business side? I do. Absolutely. I'm the boss in our company because I'm the CEO. I'm the 51% owner for several different reasons. So the standards that I have for him within the company are a little bit less forgiving probably than the standards that I have in our marriage. But the same uh, leadership principles apply when you're participating in a marriage or you're sharing and participating in a company. Mm-hmm. with someone those that generosity 
of spirit is important. And that same authenticity and the really hanging on to my values is really important wherever I am, whether it's in our bedroom or it's on a sales call with them. said that is not in my questions, but I am going to pause for a second because it, I think it's something that you hold tremendous wisdom on. And that is this concept of holding a grudge. So many women particularly can't seem to let go of things when things don't go as they had hoped. Maybe an employee you know, betrayed them in some way. Maybe a business deal didn't go the way because you didn't read it right. So you blamed somebody else, whatever it is. I have found that holding a grudge not only weighs me down in so many ways, but also cuts off my ability to be creative, to solve solutions. What have you found for yourself on that? You know, there's a a great quote by Lewis Smedes, and I can't remember it off the top of my head, but it talks about when you forgive, you let a prisoner free and you find that the prisoner was you. And I find this not just in forgiveness, Annette, but since we're going kind of deep here, also in a victim mentality. You know, I've had times in my life when I've been a victim. You know, I talk about this in in my book, Stand Up, being in a situation of date rape when I was in college. And then even as an adult being in business, feeling like I'm being bullied. And if I hold that against someone, I set very strong boundaries. Now, but if I hold that grudge or unforgiveness against someone, the person who suffers the most is me. And I first really discovered this in my marriage. I was pretty angry with my husband about something and I was really struggling with forgiveness. And when I just decided I wasn't going to hang on to it anymore, that's when we began to grow as a couple and grow in our marriage. And the same is very true in business. If you're a business leader, Your business can't grow in a healthy manner if you're allowing that to fester in your own heart or in the professional lives of those who are in your organization. It's toxic. It is toxic. And it can actually start to poison the entire organization and your own internal spirit, for sure. So now I'm going to go in a little different direction. So over the years, you have pushed your comfort zone repeatedly. And so many women don't like leaving the safety of their comfort zone. What would you say to these women? Sometimes I'm asked if I could go back and say something to my 25-year-old self, what would I say? And my answer always is, take the risk. Failure is not that bad. In fact, every time you fail, you can get back up and move again. And you learn things from that. And it's valuable. And sometimes those things that you fight the hardest for are the ones that end up being the most rewarding to you. But you asked me what I say to them. So take the risk. And then second, surround yourself with people who will push you into the deep end of the pool because they know that you can swim. And I think that's something that my husband's done for me repeatedly. And it's something that I've been blessed to have friends do for me as well. And I'm going to dig a little deeper on that one because you said something that was such a a piece of gold. 
And that is thinking about who you surround yourself with. And I want all you listeners to really hear what Renee said, because there's two types of people that you can surround yourself with. One is the person that tells you why you can't do it and how stupid the idea is and and all the things that could go wrong. And then there's the other person that says, my goodness, I can't wait to see what you created that. That just sounds wonderful. What can I do to help? And those are two very different scenarios that you can place yourself in. And the results on the other side are very different. At least I have found that for myself. Have you also found the same? Absolutely. One of my dearest friends, and I think you've had her on your show as well, is a woman named Lisa Copeland. And Lisa and I met 15 years ago. And at the time, she was on the board of the YMCA and she was running a boutique. And she decided that she was having a charity fashion show and that I should be in it. And I'm thin and I'm tall. And so she felt like I was a logical choice, but I'm kind of not neat and a little bit uncoordinated. So I was petrified that I was going to fall off of the stage into the lap of the mayor. And Lisa kept cajoling me, found me these really cute outfits to wear and put me up on stage. And I froze. I couldn't do it. I was not going to be able to walk down that runway. And she pulled me back into the green room, walked over to this box and grabbed out this clip in ponytail. And she snatched me by the back of the head and clipped this ponytail in Annette and said, get out there and work that up, do. And I was like, okay. And I like squared my shoulders and I walked right out there and did all the things that I had practiced and I was fine. And she was like, girl, sometimes you just got to do it. I'm like, I need you for my friend. Like You make me feel a little bit uncomfortable, but you're a friend. And that's really what friends do. We, we push each other, we um, encourage each other, and we pull the best out in each other. And if you don't have those kinds of friends, you're missing out. Yeah. So get rid of some of those others that aren't doing that and find some of the ones you need, right? Right. Because we're out there. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. If you surround yourself with positive thinking people, it's amazing what you can do. Well, I do know it makes the life journey a whole lot sweeter. I can tell you that. It's a whole lot more fun to laugh than it is to cry on your beer, isn't it? Absolutely. Laugh <laughs> for champagne. That's my <laughs> There you go. <laughs> All right, you see yourself as being authentic. And for many, this would make them afraid. They would be afraid they would appear weak if they showed up in their authentic selves. But you certainly are anything but weak, Renee. So how did you reach this point of authenticity and the power it provides? And then once you answer that, I want you to turn that and tell me, What advice you would give to others who want to be seen as authentic business leaders? You know, one of the things that I've done is a lot of soul searching. Writing a book helps you dig to the bottom of yourself and really get clear on who you are and why. And then the second thing that I've done is get some coaching. Some people need counseling, and I would recommend that if you need that. Um, I've gotten some of that informally, but I decided to hire a business coach. And that's been really, really helpful for me because that person asks very probing questions and I have to pull the answers out of myself. They're not telling me how to run my business. They're asking me questions to help me arrive at that myself. And when I am true to myself in that, I find that there are hidden nuggets 
of wisdom in me, that I was created to be exactly who I am. And I feel comfortable with that. So having someone who believes in you and believes that you have the best answers inside of yourself, you just may need some help getting there is really amazing. Being humble and asking for help is a critical component of that. And before we leave that topic, I want to ask you something that's kind of a tangent off of that. And that is this concept of investing in yourself. So many women struggle with that. They, When they get around to investing in themselves, it's after they've taken care of everybody else. And then maybe there's a few dollars left to do it for themselves. And then they feel guilty doing it. I suspect that has not been your approach to how to build your confidence. But share with me what your approach has been to investing in yourself, your own growth, your own education, your own whatever. You know, for a long time, Annette, that was my philosophy as well. And as I explored more things, I decided to call that a martyr mindset. Some people call it a scarcity mindset, but I looked at an example from my past. My Nana was the executive secretary for the CEO of Riches, which was a big deal. And she was the president of the Professional Secretaries Association in Atlanta, Georgia in the 60s and 70s. So she was a model of a business woman for me. Today, she would probably be called the COO. I mean, she was that strategic and important in this particular CEO's life and business. And my Nana bought herself an army green diesel Mercedes, but she didn't want to look pretentious. So she left that under her carport every day and rode the bus to work because she didn't want to appear that she had done something that was less than martyrish. And it dawned on me that so many of us do that. We don't want to appear selfish or that we're enjoying our success. So we stifle it instead of investing it and making it blossom more. And so a lesson from my Nana that took me an awfully long time to learn, but I think that it's selfless to invest in ourselves because we're going to make the world around us better. I've heard that 90% of money made by women gets reinvested in their community in their children or in healthcare pursuits. And those are admirable things. So investing in yourself is indeed investing in the other things around you and leaving an impressive legacy. So don't be martyrs, women. Don't be martyrs. <laughs> don't be martyrs. Be superheroes and for those That's around right. you. <laughs> right. Make lots of money so that you can invest it in other people who need investments. Right. Right, right, that you can help elevate your family and all those around you that you love and care for. So, Renee, is there anything about your journey to greatness that we haven't covered that you'd like to share with other women? Annette, you've done an absolutely spectacular job of covering everything that I thought that I would want to cover. I think that one thing that I would encourage women to do is to be generous with other women. I see more than men bullying women. From my vantage point, very male-dominated industry, I see women bullying other women. And that is the worst of the worst. It grieves me more than anything else to see women push down another woman. So steer clear of those women. Call them out when you see them doing it. And for goodness sakes, don't be one. 
check yourself. Oh, I think that is wonderful advice as parting words, because you're right. That one really makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck as well. We can't elevate as a group if we have people that are pushing each other down. It's not good. Renee, you have been wonderful today. Thank you for being so open with all of your wisdom and sharing it with our audience. And thank you for taking time out of your very busy schedule to come and share so much of yourself. Annette, thank you so much for having me. It's just a pleasure to talk to you and an honor to be included among your group of powerful women. I very much enjoyed it. And so Renee is another great example of how women are challenging the norm, making things happen, and demanding their own greatness. So join me next time on the World's Greatest Women Show as another powerful woman's story unfolds. 